Hey everybody, Michael here. Welcome to Waltrip Unfiltered. It's my podcast. I couldn't be happier that you joined us. Tell your friends to join us. They can do so by adding us via their favorite podcast app. They can also go to the Fox Sports YouTube channel and see video elements of everything we do here in the plush Fox Sports Studios located in Charlotte, North Carolina. My guest today, I am so thrilled. It's Haley Deegan. Haley is a rising star in the NASCAR world, and man, she did such a great job in three K&N wins she's had already in her career. She's bringing some big news with her, an announcement that she's going to make right here on Walter Unfiltered. Look forward to chatting with Haley. Her spirit, her energy makes me smile, and it's going to happen right now. Pace cars all be ready. Green flag, green flag. All clear, buddy. All clear. And uh, thank you so much for, I know we've been together once before uh-huh. with the podcast, but it was over the radio and the connection wasn't great. And I said, I have to have Haley to the studio. So welcome to Fox Sports. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I listen yeah, to it's... your podcast all the time. <laughs> oh, do you? I appreciate yeah. <laughs> that. Yeah, I, and I've, I've had so much fun doing them, um, mainly just because of the people that sit in that chair and I get to hear their stories. Mm-hmm. My stories. A lot of, you know, a lot of people think they know who you are or yeah. think they know what you're all about. And they truly have no idea what, ev- what all goes on in your world to be able to get to race a car or get to, to be a part of this, uh, this world that we enjoy and, and love to be a part of. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think social media has done a good job with adding everyone in and making it more personable. Fans get to understand drivers better. But still, the older generation, the Kevin Harvick's, Jimmy Johnson's, Kyle Bush's, they're they don't do social media and personalize it as much as the younger guys coming up. So young guys and girl, but <laughs> I say they, the younger generation understands it more and wants to personalize themselves with the fans. Well, what I loved the first time we, we met, it was after your big Vegas win mm-hmm. and we got you to come on Fox sports and we did some, some TV together that day. But I wanted you to know that. Um, and I told you that day I stayed up till one in the morning watching you win that race uh-huh. and it was the coolest thing I'd seen and I wanted to go to sleep I had stuff to do the next morning but I just I couldn't because the whole story the day it was is incredible because you were slow in practice mm-hmm. and you were frustrated oh I was so mad yeah me and my crew chief were like we were fighting we were just frustrated I was like the car doesn't have grip everyone else has grip my car doesn't have grip and I still feel like to this day we had an old steel body car that we brought there just because we didn't want to use one of our good cars and so uh, we ended up bringing the steel body car there instead of our good like KBM chassis nice cars that we have at the circle uh, pavement tracks and we ended up bringing the old car and I still think that the other car is the regular like if we brought a nicer car it would have been better but I made do with definitely what we had and it was a fast car he still had a really good setup in it which most crew chiefs don't know how to set up a car for dirt so I was like just make this thing as soft as possible like I need grip and so that's what we did just the whole car just rolled in the body weight like I'd slap the nose on entry because it was so soft on the front but in the end we made it happen <laughs> and and you had uh your dad was there and, and your crew chief and all they, they they said calm down we're gonna fix this thing. yeah we're gonna uh, get this yeah yeah I think it's the only time they've really ever told me to, like calm down we got this like just stay focused and I really had to listen to my spotter Eric Holmes at race uh he ended up racing in the Canaan series one tons of races he was yes. racing and so he's like my driver coach spotter and he's the perfect guy for it just because he's raced at all those tracks but he was just so on me because we were only a quarter throttle that whole race it was you didn't use any more than a quarter throttle just because if you spun the tires you were slower and so I was that was the hardest thing for me because I am just like I just want to be wide open the whole time like right. overdrive entries and just calming me down and that's when we were fast 
isn't that incredible for the folks that at home that have never raced and think that it's just about matting it? Mm-hmm. The discipline it took for you to to go quarter throttle, not going all the way to the floorboard, with that target mm-hmm. out in front of you. Yeah. I mean, what are you gonna do? I that, mean, you're you're 17 years old. Uh, you're, you're saying, I gotta catch him. Yeah. I and, gotta mat it. Uh, and I'm a dirt racer. I came from off road racing where you hit the gas as hard as you can, the faster you go, knocking tents off your time and. Just that race, it was so, like, I was so tense. I just remember, like, squeezing the wheel just because I was trying not to overdrive my entries but still maximizing as much time as I could get just because the guy in front of me was a couple seconds ahead, and we only had, like, 10 laps to go. So I was like, if I'm going to do this, like, I have to be perfect. And I remember making a mistake. I think it was around lap 8 to go, and I overdrove one of the corners, and I was, like, yelling at myself in the car, like, do not do that again. That was so bad. You're not going to win this race. And uh, it just ended up falling together so perfect. Oh, what a what a great finish to the race all three of your wins in the k&n series mm-hmm. have been dramatic yeah and <laughs> I, I like making a show <laughs> <laughs> I, I like i like them all equally but that one that one i think mm-hmm. surprised me the most yeah. because you had so much ground to make up i had like a half track <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you had even with the lap to go it looked like you're gonna run second mm-hmm. yeah i honestly I was like, this is going to be so close. Something has to happen for us to win. Like, I have to be perfect. And maybe me not even being perfect, I'm not going to win this. And it was just, it was so frustrating myself just because we were so close. And I was like, if we get second, it's just going to be like another lap or a lap or two. And it was just, I knew it was going to be a sad one if we didn't win. But I was going to, if I got to his bumper, no matter what, I was going to throw a mood for a win. And that's kind of my motto. Like, if I'm in a position to win, just know I'm going to take it. Like, if I'm anywhere in the top three, on the last restart, two laps to go, like, I'm going to take a swing for the win. <laughs> well, and how rewarding. That had to – I mean, all the wins are so dramatic and fun, mm-hmm. but that one must have been extra special. Huh? It was special just because the year before I didn't win the race, just because I felt like I overdrove it and I just kind of – I wasn't as – precise with my lines wasn't as I don't want to say focused because I was focused but I just didn't get that precision aspect I wasn't by I just didn't do everything right that I could have and I feel like that cost me the win last year and I wanted to go back as my redemption race and I was like if I don't win this race like it's gonna make me so mad (laughs) well I grew up in a day where you know for some reason the the people that it happened but Mm -hmm. mostly as a kid you didn't move. You didn't move people. Yeah. You know, you, you tried to pass them or you didn't. Mm-hmm. That's not the way the world works Mm-mm. now. You, no. you you do the bump and run. Yeah. And if, if I'm going to look at a template for my, say my daughter Macy decided she was going to race, I would say, okay, watch Haley Deegan at Las Vegas. <laughs> she did it perfectly. She she moved him. She won the race. And the guy couldn't say a word about yeah. it. That that made it, to me, that was even more difficult. It'd be easy just to go down there and clobber a guy. Yeah. But the three wins you've had, there's been contact. Yeah. But there's been nothing that I would look at as an old racer, uh, knowing what today's world is. There's nothing about any one of the three of them I would look at and say, that was wrong. Yeah. And we know, we've seen wrong before. Mm-hmm. Those weren't. I would say those first two wins I had, everyone was not as controversial just because I moved the guy, he finished second. But the last one was a little more controversial, which I totally understand. And it was it was almost like an eye for an eye moment. At that, The other ones were just like, okay, I'm in a position to win. I'm going to take it. It wasn't they didn't really do anything to me. But the other one was like an eye for an eye. Like, you did that to me. I'm going to do it back to you. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched that race uh, on, a, on Denny Hamlin's bus with – with a bunch of racers, uh-huh. and when it was over, 
it was so funny because it was almost split down the middle. Uh-huh. Well, she wrecked them. Uh, it's exactly <laughs> half. And I think social media was like that a lot. Before, it was like, oh, 90% would be on my side. The other, there's always that, like 10% on Twitter that are going to hate on it. And I was okay with that. I didn't care. But that last one was a straight like 50-50. Half the articles were good. Half the articles were bad that were made about me. Yeah, I thought that was because I, I was on your side on that one. There were a couple that thought, eh, it's too, too much. And then the others were, were we all agreed. But... Um, that, that's, that's what NASCAR needs. Mm-hmm. We need people like you to show up and, and, and ruffle some feathers mm-hmm. and, and st- st- I like that you just come out and say it. Okay. Yeah. If I got a chance, just be ready. Yeah. <laughs> other drivers will do it. They just aren't quite as honest. Uh, or they'll try to be quiet after, like kind of like try to cover it up, patch it up as best they can. Like I'll accept it. Like it's a win's a win. Like whatever you got to do to win. I remember talking to Jeff Gordon. He was like, okay, you take someone out for fifth place. Like, don't do that. He goes, Biff is for a win. He goes, do whatever you got to do to win. And I remember him texting me after the race that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that That's incredible. And and so your your summer, I know it's been, there's, I follow you on Instagram and, and Twitter. And I know the racing this, this summer hasn't been all you hoped mm-hmm. it would be at this point. Um, talk to me a bit about the frustrations of not performing at the level you expect and and does it motivate you does it make you think all right well this is maybe harder than I thought where where are you mentally right now I'm in the phase where we're struggling a little bit like we'll have our good races bad races but we start out the year really strong and I had this crew chief from the east coast who was amazing at setting up a car especially coming to the west coast we had the just setups that people on the West Coast didn't have, knowledge that they didn't have. Just because my team's out in Roseville, California, there's not many stock car racers up there. And so, which in the end, you have to make do with it. We raced the K&N West Series. And so we brought in a guy from the East Coast, had all that knowledge from other teams, other ARCA teams, and it helped a ton. And so even when we came to the East Coast, like New Smyrna, top of the war in practice, qualified first, we were just, we were fast and we had speed. And then my car ended up breaking, which that happens. And uh, But I think I'd rather be in position where I have speed, I'm at top of the board, and then my car breaks rather than, like, running 10th. And so, and then I got a new crew chief because we had, we parted ways from the crew chief. There was just uh, an issue that went down at Bristol, and we had to part ways with the crew chief. And so A lot of issues go down at Bristol. It, I think, yeah, true. I blew up a motor at Bristol, too. <laughs> so, yeah, Bristol caused a little issues. Hopefully turn that around uh, after the next weekend or this Thursday. And so... After we parted ways, I had to find a new crew chief, and it's just a matter of we're trying to still try to feel each other out. He's trying to get all these good setups, figuring out. I drive a lot different than both my teammates and pretty much everyone else in the series. I just, I'm very aggressive with everything. Everyone's a little smoother just because, coming from stock car racing, mm-hmm. I feel like stock car races are definitely smoother with everything. Uh, off-road racing, you're just so harsh. And so this new crew chief's trying to figure out how to set up the car for me because we can't set up the car like my teammates. Okay, it might be fast for my teammate and the 16 car, but it's not fast for me. And so uh, we're starting to get that groove back, but I think we're just missing speed from the East Coast just because of the technology they have out here. They'll go get wind tunnel time. They have all the setups because most of of these teams, even like DGR, they have trucks. And even uh, the GMS car racing in the K&N series, he has all the setups on trucks and expanding. Like they have uh, a lot more knowledge that I don't get in Roseville, California. So it's just maximizing what we can on the East Coast with what we have on the West Coast. And and that's that's interesting and it's cool because you're um, it's it's it's. Monday now, as we as we film this and tape this, you announced today some huge news mm-hmm. that has to do with K and N series and and has to do with 
an East Coast team. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk to, tell our viewers that are two days behind uh-huh. what exactly you announced on Monday. <laughs> yeah, so I'm be racing for DGR in the 54 uh, Camry at Bristol, which I'm so excited about just because going to Bristol last year and the year before, I see DGR's cars just have so much speed in them. And that comes from the knowledge they have on the East Coast. And my team was originally going to go there. Um, I wasn't going to race it, though, just because I didn't have the funding to do it. I would love to race every single East Race, but I just don't have the funding to do it at the moment. And so uh, my team was going to go with Derek, who was running for a championship on the East Coast, but they pulled out of that. And so I didn't really have any option. And so we ended up talking to DGR, one of my sponsors, IK9, who wanted to come aboard. They ended up coming to the first Bristol race at the beginning of the year, I think it was in April, and they saw how well the DGR cars are running, and they were like, we want to put you in that car. And so just for that race, because they saw how well they performed there. And so uh, I'm going to be running for them, and I'm really excited just because I want to see if there's a difference just because of the technology, but also I think that being on the East Coast with the East Coast car is going to help a lot. Who knows? It could be the same. Come on. <laughs> it's kind of like a hair mess. <laughs> <laughs> what about that track, though? I mean, mm-hmm. that, with your limited NASCAR experience, have you ever driven anything like Bristol? I would say Bristol is the closest thing I can compare to an off-road track. My two favorite tracks are Bristol and Iowa, just because the more aggressive you drive almost, the faster you go. And that's where I came from in off-road racing, those high bank corners and sliding. And that's what I like. And so Bristol is, it's a little sketchy at first. Always the first couple laps. No matter how many times you go to Bristol, those first couple laps are still a little nerve-wracking. You're still shaking a little bit, especially when your car's loose. But I think that hopefully we'll have a strong run this weekend just because the track favors more so my driving style from off-road racing. And you know what I love about that? You talk to Kyle Larson. My favorite track is Uh Bristol. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., same thing. What's their background? Mm -hmm. Dirt. They love that challenge. I have to ask you this, though. Like The first time I ever went to Bristol, and it's been 100 years ago, and every time after that, when I would run my first run, four or five laps, I'd go to come on the radio, I'd be <gasps> Oh, yeah. You hold your breath. And <laughs> that's crazy, something people right? don't. You could go there so many times. Like, it's going to be my third time going to Bristol already, and I already know those first couple laps. You hold your breath just because you don't know what the car is going to do. And usually your crew sometimes will set up a little tight if they're a little more cautious with you. But when I went to Bristol at the beginning of the year, that was with my old crew chief. And anytime I went to the track, I was like, I don't care how uncomfortable the car is, just give me speed. And so we went there, car was loose, but we had speed. And so it was a little sketchy the first laps. We ended up getting it calmed down a little bit, but then we ended up blowing a motor. So uh, it didn't help there, but I think if we can get the car in a good shape i we should have a good run <laughs> maybe what, what are what are your experiences with the with the traction compound they put down do you do you feel it or i've i've never driven in it which mm-hmm. is crazy because i thought i'd done everything yeah <laughs> but i've never done it do you do you avoid it or you, how does that work so it's just on the bottom it's almost just enough of a car length of a car where it's almost like half your tires out of it and i think that comes with how experienced the drivers are, are the closer they can be around the line. Because if you hit the apron, it's probably the sketchiest thing you'll ever do in your yes. racing career. <laughs> and so uh, even going to Pocono, I think hanging the apron at Bristol is one of the sketchier things. And so I think that it takes more of a disciplined driver to be able to run that bottom line consistently. Because if you get out of it in your car, you usually have your car set up mostly, okay, it's going to be on the traction compound, but it's going to be a little bit looser up here, tight up here. And so you have to keep discipline to run that bottom groove. But if you get out of the bottom room just like a half foot, it's chaos. <laughs> Don't you love, and I want to talk about Pocono in a minute because I know that's your first super speedway race. And I want to talk more about Bristol um, because 
I don't know if you ever you ever watch any videos of wrecks from Bristol. Uh, I have. I had a really big one there uh-huh. once. Yeah, I, I almost. I saw. <laughs> yeah, so that's. I, I want to know from. I know things are much safer now, and mm-hmm. and you can't leave that place like I tried to do that day. But uh, what do you? What do you? What's your mentality? I know you do crazy stuff in on the off road, but when you go to a track like Bristol, where you know how hard you can hit, how does that affect you? I think I'm not scared in stock car racing just because I watched my dad grow up in freestyle motocross where it was a 50-50 chance you're going to break your legs, break your arms, wrists, ankles. And that was something that I grew up around him constantly in cast at the hospital having rods put in him. And that's just something that I got accustomed to growing up. And it was kind of my brother, he's already fractured his back, collarbones, and he's only 13. And he has the least amount of kind of damage done to him as a motocross kid. And so just seeing how dangerous that sport is in the sport I'm in, the only thing I have to worry about is fire with my hair. But uh, in the end, I'd say my only worry is really that. Yeah. And Bristol will be a crazy challenge for you. Um, it's Thursday night, right? Mm-hmm. Thursday night. I'm gonna Thursday, be, 5 p.m. I'm going to be watching closely because oh, cool. <laughs> I had so much fun watching you in uh, in Vegas. Um, Pocono, mm-hmm. it was your first super speedway yes. race. Mm-hmm. And that place is the opposite of Bristol. Yes. What did you, what'd you think about all that? Did you like it? I did. I liked it a lot just because it was so – it wasn't was I, what I expected. Just because that first lap I took around there and – the air is still in the car, which I was not used to because the right side was sealed off the window. And so I wasn't used to that. And I just remember going down. It wasn't even the front stretch. It was the back stretch because, uh, like, the first lap coming around when you pull out. And I just remember going down the back stretch and just looking around and just seeing all the air still. And it was, and I remember the nose just hunting right. And it kept going right just because of how much skews in the car. Just I remember going down the straightaway and just putting more wheel into it. And I was like, there's like I have to go through the left right here and I was like we're just we're still turning right and I was like oh my god you turn left and you feel the side air just grab you and it's yeah it's the weirdest feeling ever I've never felt anything like that before just because I haven't been on track that big and so it was definitely an experience and I think by the end by race times when I really got used to it and once we had our setup really good I felt like we ended up qualifying fourth which is pretty cool and so I was excited about that but the sketchiest thing was the start because I ended up getting put four wide mm-hmm. on the very top and it was I thought I was going to wreck the first corner just because I got so loose like I remember just feeding wheel feeding wheel going right on and the you first need corner. those laps yeah you exactly I know the- I was like I can't wreck on the first lap and so I ended up dropping back a little bit but then we started hunting ourselves back up there and just getting it was an experience of feeling out the air because I've never felt that before. The biggest track I've ever been on was New Hampshire before then. And still it plays a part, but not as much as it does there. And so it was just feeling everything out, okay, side drafting, pulling off, getting the rear quarter. And those are things I never experienced before that I had to learn during that uh, short race. And you know what is crazy to me is you, you, you get through, let's just say you're coming across the start-finish line. Mm-hmm. And you see that first turn way down there, mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, this is kind of cool, but yeah. that's coming. Yeah, you know? and it starts coming quick. And, it's, and, and next and thing you know, there's people all around you. You're like, are they breaking? Are they going to go? Are they going to sail it in? And you're there, and then you leave it, and you're like, whoo. Uh-huh, you're going next one. Uh, oh, there, 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 it's yeah. way up there. Yeah. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And just, I, I like that. I always loved Pocono. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that. I like that feeling of mm-hmm. the anticipation of of dealing with what your car, your track, the traffic. Mm-hmm. That's 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 fun to me. Yeah, and I think that Pocono is a lot different. 
And I think it's going to be a lot different than a lot of super speedways I drive on just because every corner is different, so your car is never good in every single corner. Okay, it could be good in two corners, but say it's not going to be good in turn two because more so one and three are alike. And so it's just like you have to get used to the car being uncomfortable. My driving coach told me he owns a go-kart track back in California. That's and not Eric me, Holmes? No. And got I got, this is my, like, off-road driving coach. And so he's my dad's spotter. His name's Troy Adams. He, I go go-karting at his go-kart track and driving tag cars, shifted cars probably twice a week. And so he always told me, be comfortable being uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing that I took with me in stock car racing is if the car is going to be loose, but you have speed, you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I brought you a present, by the way. Oh, you did? Oh, thank you. Yeah. People, I was drinking this on the boat, and they were like, oh, you weren't drinking that? And I was like, yeah, I was. I bought it from the gas station. Like, yeah, I, I stopped at the it. gas station. Uh-huh, yeah. I got you a monster. And the reason why I had one here is because I know your energy. Yeah. I knew when you sat down, I had to be ready to go because uh, yeah. it was going to be intense the whole time. I don't think I need so, it, but I always end up cheers. drinking them. Thank you. <laughs> you talked about your dad. And Dad is here today, and I couldn't be happier. Brian Deegan, thank you so much for, for coming by. Have a seat on my tire. You're, you, um, you are the first time I've had two guests. I am new at the podcast world, so I figure you know, dealing with one person would be uh-huh. enough. But, man, um, as, as the father of, a, of two daughters, a, a 21-year-old who's off at the, the University of Michigan, and, and, and both of them that when they were little – dabbled in racing go-karts or, or four-wheelers or whatever. Yeah. Fortunately for me, because of the expense of tires and engines, they wound up on horses. <laughs> and so I just had to buy some hay. But <laughs> but you've been through it all. She talked about broken arms and legs. And um, I just, I'm honored that you're here. First of all, we're Monster Energy Buddies. Um, they made an awesome documentary about your life and and all the things that you accomplished and so it's it's nice to meet you and it's an honor that you're here and i uh i just want to say thanks for coming by yeah thanks for having me this is exciting you know i'm a fan so i've watched a, you know, a lot of your races and a lot of the history and I, you know i'm big into the history of sports and and it is really new for us Haley's only been racing stock cars for a few years a lot of people don't understand that and she you know comes from off-road which our history is dirt you know, motocross, supercross, freestyle motocross, truck racing, and then uh, the soccer thing's pretty new, you know? And I raced super late models for a couple of years, people didn't know that. <laughs> Back when um, Pastrano was kind of making his entrance yeah. into stock cars. He drove with us. Yep, he drove with you guys, and uh, so he was my main competition at freestyle. We were like mortal enemies at the X Games. But it was we, always Pastrano and yeah. my dad, <laughs> every what, single year. I have, quickly, yeah. what, were, y'all, were y'all friends, but just... Or were you like, nah, I got to get that guy? Honestly, the moto mentality was you kind of, like, hated your competition. Yeah. That was moto mentality. For whatever reason, it took me many years to get over that once I went to X Games. Because at X Games, everyone kind of cheered everyone on. Uh-huh. And I think the tricks were so gnarly that you didn't want to really see people crash and get hurt. So I changed my focus after many years of competing with Pastrana. At first... I really didn't like him at first because he beat me, you know, and I didn't like that. And I, I, I hated how he always would win, and, you know, I'd try so hard to win and, and risk my life to try these tricks. And, you know, every so often I would beat him, but it was rare. And, and so, you know, when he ended up winning, winning, winning and doing all these crazy tricks, and the, do- the night of the double backflip, I, I stand there and watch that, and I, I knew my career was done at that point. Yeah. I, like, I don't that. have that. I'm, like, not doing that. I was getting older at the time, you know, and, and with Haley. So, um at that point, you know, I respect him. At that point, I'm like, man, I ha- this dude's gnarly. Like, I have to respect this guy yeah. because what he does, he just he, like, earns your respect, you know? And, and so after years, we, you know, we became buddies and, you know, we hang out once in a while and see each other. 
But it was cool when he got into stock cars. You know, I, t- I was talking to NASCAR and, and through my management and stuff. They're like, man, why don't you try? It would be great if we got more people into NASCAR. And they're really pushing to to get more drivers in to help the sport. And I thought, man, it would be exciting. For me, it was just... I never really thought, okay, I'm going to come in and ask her, I'm going to win and beat it in a championship. <laughs> and I never, like, thought that. I just thought, you know what, if I could check that off in my life list, you know, a kid from Nebraska out of a small town, you know, coming to California, chase my dreams, and, and say, I race NASCAR one day. You know, that was just my, my goal. I'm like, yeah. if I could have just done that. But I did uh, super late models at Irwindale for a few years. You know, talking to Ganassi about a deal, and they were talking about, okay, we're gonna, you're gonna go and race these few races, and we're gonna try real hard to just get you right into the main, you know, the main show. And I'm like, man, I, and once I started racing these local races, I'm like, these guys are fast, <laughs> pretty good, aren't they? And they're like nobodies, you know. And, the and local so, guys are the hardest ones to beat. I oh, yeah. swear, they're yeah. like, you go to your local track. They craft that skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so then we learned that later, you know, that the local guys are like some of the hardest guys to ever ever beat, but. So my, my NASCAR career and at that at that point ended short when I was like, okay, and then we kind of got the bill from Ganassio. This is what it's going to cost. And yeah. that was kind of the sponsors are like, <laughs> they're like, well, that's not motocross money. So, and that's when it kind of ended. But I always had a dream to be a NASCAR, you know, and, and that's, that was my dream to, to put our name in, in the books of NASCAR. And that's why it was so cool when Haley had a chance to come and race here. That I thought, man, it's so cool just to have our name, you know, somewhere in the sport would be would be really cool for us. And, and so it, it was something that really was a goal for us, for sure. How long ago did that that dream or that vision, that goal, when did that all start? How, how old were you? It's funny because there's a video. They were trying to do like, I don't know, kind of, not like a reality TV show, but just like videoing us kids racing. Because I had my little posse of like kids uh, growing up racing with. And I remember, I think it was Nickelodeon. Yeah. Right, that came in and wanted to do like a TV show, and there's this video of me. I think it's on Facebook somewhere. It's like I want to race NASCAR, and I was nine years old, had the worst lisp, wearing like a hot pink cheetah shirt. It was so funny, and I would say I didn't even, I wasn't really informed on what exactly NASCAR was like. When you thought NASCAR, okay, it's that top level, the one with uh, Dale Jr., the one with Kyle Busch. Like, that's what I thought, like, NASCAR was. I didn't know there was tons of ranks before that. And, like, even going back to, like, the Dash series and stuff like that. Like, those are things just these past couple years I've become knowledgeable about. And now this past two years, I've realized how much more it is and how much more it takes to get to that top level. And I'd say about... I always had this kind of goal of I wanted to do something more with my career than off-road. Just because at 15, I, like, was at the peak. I was winning. I was like, I have nowhere else to go. I don't even have my license yet. (laughs) And so I was like, I have to do something else with my career. And so that's when my mom, she was online one time, and she saw this thing for the Drive for Diversity Rev Racing program. And so she saw this form. She's like, oh, let's have that girls. They want girls in racing. And so she, like, fills out this form. Filled out the form. Filled out the form. (laughs) Sends it in. It says decline. Or, like, it didn't work. And, didn't like, error didn't go through. But I guess it ended up going through and we get a call from the NASCAR Drafter Diversity Program. They're like, oh, we want you to come to North Carolina, try it out. And so I ended up coming here, and I tried it out in this legend car. And I, like, I didn't even know, like, anything about this. And so I drove this legend car, ended up racing at the summer shootout. I did a uh, round there. I got, like, one-third place. <laughs> and I was, like, stoked on that. Yeah, that's <laughs> and good. And I just didn't realize legend cars are the hardest things to drive. Oh, yeah. Legend cars are tough. I used to have one of those things. Uh, they're tough just because they're 
overpowered, no tire, brakes suck. And so I'd say after that, my parents ended up, because I didn't, I didn't know where to go from there. I'm like, do I go late models? Like, I didn't, I barely knew what K&N was. Like, I was so misinformed on what everything was. And uh, we ended up renting a late model from this guy named Richard, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe Johnson or something. So, <laughs> north of the lake. Yeah. yeah. We ended up running this late model just to go do a test. And it was a two-day test, one day at Hickory, one day at Greenville Pickens. And I ended up going out there driving. And the guy's like, hey, can I make a call to Toyota? And I was like, I have no clue what you're talking about. I was like, go for it. I was like, I had no clue about Toyota's development program or anything like that. So I ended up calling Toyota, told them that I could drive. <laughs> and so Toyota ended up giving me a call a couple weeks you later. Must have, you must have good speed when you got that late model. I don't know. <laughs> and so I had no one to compare it to. And so I just drove. And I was probably loose as loose gets, probably taking down, almost taking down the fence. But that's why I grew up stock car or off-road racing. And so it was different. It was an experience. But... After they called Toyota, Toyota called me and said, hey, we want to try you out for um, our development program. And so they ended up taking me to Madeira, California, and it's like this small short track. Ended up driving there, and I was pretty fast there, and so they're like, oh, we want to put you in the late model for a couple races. And still, back at that time, we didn't really know what it was. We didn't really have a contract set in place, like nothing really. It's just like, oh, like, come out and drive a late model with this team. And so I ended up driving a couple races there. I got like... I was so close to winning, like, a few times. And I got, like, second, second, second. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. And then uh, Toyota was like, okay, well, where do we go? For, let's go, so, like, to the next level. And I was like, I okay. And they're like, we want to put you in K&N. And I was like, huh? And so they end up, they're like, okay, well, we're going to put you in this test first. And they end up bringing quite a few girls, like, a handful of girls to this test and, at Irwindale, California. And I drove Todd Gillen's car. And Todd was there at the test and stuff. And I ended up driving the car. And I guess it was pretty good. And then Todd got in the car because they were like, oh, we want, like, baseline. Order. Yeah, you got to figure like, it out. He was a couple slower than me. <laughs> and I, swear, I still hold that to him to this yeah. day. Like, I still hold that against him. And I ended up, after that, they were like, okay, we want to put you in uh, full-time next year in the Canaan West Series and a few East races. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Like, I have five late model races under my belt at Madeira, California. That's, like, a quarter mile. It's tiny. And I was like, oh, okay. And so... I was a little hesitant, and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but I was with a great team like Bill McAnally on mm-hmm. the West Coast who put me through that development program. And What a great guy yeah. he is. Uh-huh, he's I love awesome. Bill. <laughs> yeah, and so he ended up uh, putting me in his car. Ended up, it took me a solid half season just to figure out I've never really had a crew chief before. I've never right. had any of that. Like, my dad, like, we were we owned our own team in off-road, and so I wasn't used to any of that. So I had to get used to that um, just – feeling out all these tracks, going to new places, and every single weekend being at a new track, like every step Madeira in the same track every single weekend. I had the same thing I'm looking forward to. I'm trying to beat my fastest time in qualifying every single weekend. And so after that, it took me a half season to get used to it. The ball started rolling. I got, and I ended up, we lost my crew chief. He, like, parted ways with BMR halfway through the season. So that's when I got my crew chief from You'll the get East used, Coast. You'll get used to that. I'm getting used to that. Crew chief's crew You're going to have a few of those throughout <laughs> yeah. your career. Some of them will be, yeah. sometimes it'll be your decision. Sometimes it'll be their decision. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes so they'll punch a guy and get oh, kicked out. Yeah. yeah. So that, <laughs> and so that one wasn't my decision. <laughs> and so I ended up having a new crew chief come in. And the first race, it was the one from the East Coast that we parted ways at Bristol. Um. He ended up coming in in the first race. Uh, he was my crew chief. We ended up finishing second. 
and uh, I, to my teammate Derek. And so I was like, this guy's good. He knows what he's doing. And I was like, I like him. And he was only 20 years old at the time. Wow. Like, young. And I was 16. But I felt like we had this good relationship just because we were both so young, trying to prove ourselves, and we had one goal was to win. It was not to go out and get experience. It was we are here to win every single weekend, even though we might have not won, like, right off the bat. And then I think it's like, two or three races later, we ended up winning at Meridian. And after that, it was just the ball started rolling. We were constantly at the top of the board, practice, qualifying good, getting pulls. And it was just constantly getting better and better. And that's what really – that's when the ball started rolling. And I was like, I got this figured out. I think we were going to be good. <laughs> and that, that had to be a proud moment for Dad. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you've, you've put so much into it, and now you're seeing the results. Uh, the, yeah. the, 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 the win in Idaho and then the, the great finishes. Yeah, I mean, as, as a father, you, you look at – when your kid goes up against something challenging, you know, and you, you look at it, you're like, can it really happen? You know, like, yeah, I saw her in off-road, and we, you know, developed since she was young, and she started winning, and she won many races that I was like, man, I can't believe that. Like, there's been many levels to where I didn't think it was going to happen, and yeah. she would do it. You know, last real race, points championship, it's on the line, and she'll go out, and only has to, like, do a top three, but we'll win the race. You know, like, I'm like, man, under pressure, she's so good under pressure. And there's so many little things that I've seen over the years. I'm like, it's just a matter of time before this plays out. But her going on that Can-Am team, we were looking from the fence one day from a legend car going, man, that team's so cool. It was at and Kern every, County, yeah. Yeah, it was at Kern, and there's semis and all the big rigs. We're like, that's so cool looking at the Can-Am team. We need Haley Deegan on the side. <laughs> yeah, we never thought. No, and, and I thought it was it. like cup racing when we were at Kern County, yeah. and I was in the legend car driving on the little quarter mile. I was like, wow, like one day, that's my goal, was yeah. to race for Bill McAnally in the Can-Am <laughs> yeah. West Series. And if you would have told us her first year in Can-Am she would win a race, we would have been like, yeah. It was a goal, but it almost it seemed goal. unattainable. <laughs> but we had a lofty goal, you know. Right. But we worked towards it and worked towards it. And every race, we're like, man, this is going to happen. You that's know, awesome. second place, you know, fast time in practice. I'm like, you can win. You know, and that's when we started talking at home. And a lot of people don't, don't understand, as a, as a father, the race prep goes on daily. Mm-hmm. From the time she gets up to the time we go to bed, we talk about racing, training, practice. We're, we're out in the, in the players practicing. You know, I have a track at my house. I, you know, tracks all over. And we're constantly working, you know, at the car track. We're, you know, everywhere we can go to practice that we can afford to put in our schedule, we do. And so she could uh, race weekend, she's ready, you know. And it's not, not a race and a weekend thing. It's an everyday thing. And so when she shows up and starts doing better and better and better, then we're, we're motivated. Yeah. We're going, okay. You know, and it's hard, you know, she... You know, starts winning, and then we're like, we're winning. This is it. We're winning. And then something And then you're like, no, we're not. And it has, like, there's so many highs and lows. So hard to say. It doesn't – it drags you down. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're at the point you wake up, and I can see her motivation. You know, it changes. You know, I wake up, we're at the house, and I'm like, hey, let's go. And she still does it, but you lose that little extra drive because you're like, man, I'm showing up this weekend again. I know my car is going to be good. You know, this if you're like, when she's winning, it's fire. Like, we're going. It's wide open. And that's just a racer. That's a racing mentality, you know. But overall, it's just these things you have to learn. That in the sport, I guess you just have to to toughen up and go, hey, there's going to be highs and lows. And if you you talk about toughening up, your dad's documentary, I mean, that, the things you went through, uh, the the being the best and then then seeing it, you know, go away and and now I'm getting hurt more than I'm winning. uh, How how did that affect? How did that affect you as a little girl watching her her dad have all those 
Rex. It was crazy because most of the time I would always go to X Games, those events, but there would be a few where I'd be at home watching from TV because it was always live on TV. And you see him crash and you're just like in awe. And there was moments I always remember of him crashing and stuff and me just being like, Oh my god, my mom going crazy, my grandma going crazy, and what was the one movie? Was it Krusty Demon? The one where you, uh, they showed, like, the tombstone with your name on it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was the old Moto movie, the, it was one of our movies we did, like a Deegan, okay. old, old documentary. Well, the, yeah, there was this old documentary, mm. and I think I was 10 years old at the time, like, I was between 8 and 10, and I remember watching this documentary, like, in my room, whatever, and it was when my dad crashed, uh, filming for Viva La Bam, out in the middle of nowhere, ends up blowing up his kidney, and it was, like... Well, like a life or death scenario. A, a daughter shouldn't know her dad blew up his kid. I know. It <laughs> really is bothering me yeah. right now. But that's that that was life for yeah. you. Exactly, and he ended up blowing up his kidney. I remember watching this documentary on it. Like, obviously, I knew I wasn't live on TV or anything, so like, I didn't see exactly what happened. But I remember, like, after the movie was made and watching it, and they had this like just to make it more dramatic, they had this like tombstone with his name on it, and I lost <laughs> it right there. I was like, oh my god, Dad! You, you have to tell him that's over the line. I know. I was like, I was. It like scared me inside. So I was like, I almost lost my dad, and I didn't even know. And it was just. That was a turning point when I knew what he did, how dangerous everything he was doing. Like, yeah, he'd break a couple bones, and I'd be like, okay, like, that was almost normal for me. But seeing that really changed my perspective on everything. That's like back when I was a kid your age. Like, people, you know, obviously, um, we we lost people. People, Mm -hmm. There were crashes that that killed people. And, and, you know, everybody knows um, the the loss of Dale Earnhardt the day – that I won Daytona, and you're just, it's its weird because, you know, even though those things happen, you, you get up, you go to the racetrack the next week, and you're like, nothing's really changed. You know, you, you get in your car, and you're like, well, that's it won't happen to me. It's just a, it's a crazy mentality mm-hmm. uh, that, that you have to have in order to be able to, to crank it up and go. And even today, when it's, it's, it's indeed safer, you still know you're out there, you're, you're, you're wrapped in a steel cage and you're wearing fireproof clothing. Yeah. There's a chance somebody's going to get hurt. Oh, yeah. It's only fireproof for about 10 seconds. <laughs> like, your time runs out. And yeah. so. And like me, you've got great hair. So, <laughs> you know, we could, we got to be careful. I, I know. As a father, you know, it's one thing to go, oh, my daughter's doing great. She's accomplishing goals. And I'm like, there's still that fear factor. Yeah. Of like, man, when she went to Pocono, I like canceled everything I had to do. I'm going, I'm going to Pocono. Like, right. I'm not gonna miss her going almost 200 miles per hour yes and then when i saw lap times i'm like they're like going the same time as going 195 where are you going that's pretty cool oh uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it was yeah. crazy yeah and i'm like maybe a little different you get like 40 some cars going yeah. all together right but as, you know as a father i'm scared of the big crash is gonna happen right so she, eventually she's gonna get in some big crashes and that's part of racing and but i'm like i fear that you know as a dad i'm like what's gonna happen to her mentally you know physically when she goes through these you know these big crashes and hopefully you know what we've learned through all our years of being tough and being able to mentally block stuff out it is gonna you know help but overall you still you know, i mean it's that stuff happens and it's a risk of the sport and it's scary you know it's definitely scary like no doubt i always like i you know it's probably hard for people to hear but i always tell my family and my kids like sport is never more important than family you know so if you have if sport ever causes an issue with family it's, it's family you, first family right? first so so that's what's scary you know if a sport can 
break up your family like that. Not, you know, basically take away, you know, time and members of your family and that. That's scary yeah. to me. That's a scary part of racing. So my documentary that I did with Paul Tobley, I felt like he, he was able to, to tell a great story through my life. And he did a great job, great at doing documentaries. And Monster Energy got behind that. And, and we were able to watch your documentary. And I thought... Man, it was so cool. And, and I'll be honest, we sat down. It was late. We were tired. It was one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we're like, hey, I want to watch this. And, you know, Paul sent it over, and, and we pushed play. And within the first three, three, four minutes, we're like, man, I was awake. I was intrigued. I was watching this. I was like, man, this story is, is getting deep. And then it got into stuff I never knew, like things mm-hmm. that I would never, ever have known. And I love history and sports. And, and I thought that was so cool for Haley to get to see that. And I think one thing that I guess we would regret is we never lived through that mm-hmm. back in the day when racing was like, you know, it was just seemed so intense. Like, and it seemed I like wasn't alive. Crowd, you know, <laughs> no. lines to get in, pack, crowd. Like, it was just so intense racing. And it seemed like guys were rough and tough. And, you know, that was just the way we saw from, from the 80s and 90s. And something we're not going to, you know, we don't get to experience the past. But through that documentary, I thought that was cool how you guys touched on a lot of things I don't think ever you know we didn't know right people don't know yeah. even yeah. people in the racing world they don't understand because it's so personable and so your story the stuff that you went through yeah it, we did a, a viewing for the NASCAR community and had a couple hundred people and to the to the person they would come up and 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 you know they they lived it mm-hmm. but they didn't live it like I did yeah. you know yeah. and just to to be able to I'm thankful for Monster and Paul for telling the story. And, and you know, the, the, the thing I thought about that movie when we did it was I care about what, you know, a couple people think. One was my ex-wife. Um, well, she was, she was my wife then. Mm-hmm. She's my ex now. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't make any sense if she was my ex then. I wouldn't yeah, care. No. <laughs> <laughs> but one was what my wife, uh, Buffy, at the time, what she thought because she lived it. Yeah. And the other was, you know, what Dale and Kelly and the Earnhardts thought. And after viewing it, all of them said it's it's perfect. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited for the world to see it. It's going to come out on September 12th. It's going to play in in a, I think eight or nine hundred theaters across America. Okay. So people at home can watch it. But um, I, I know you had to feel the same way I did when when your documentary was done. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's how it worked. That's how it happened right there. Yeah, it is, and I'm glad that you let the story be told because at the end of the day those are a lot of emotions inside that you sometimes a lot of people just keep them inside mm-hmm. you know i think it's good to get that out you that you told that story yeah. and i think it shared it with everyone you know and i had lost a best friend uh in freestyle motocross jeremy lusk and i just it was so hard to talk about and you know i was there i watched his father come in and see him and i saw it went when you know, he when it fully when he was like redlining with in front of it, just moments that I'm like, man, I just was I carried and carried, and, and I was like, fine. I was like, when I was able to talk and tell the story, I felt like it kind of let it go and let let it out, and you know, I felt like that was a good thing for me. You know, yeah, my mine is it's just different because mm-hmm. I don't know if, if it's just who I am as a person, but whether I ever told it or not, mm-hmm. you know, I walk around with it. Yep. It's it it it's who I am, and I can't talk about it or think about it if i'm driving down the road by myself and i think about it it makes me emotional and um when i I wrote the book uh, that that was the inspiration to the movie back in 2011 and that that was the first time that that i really opened up you know and talked about all this stuff and i think that was 
really therapeutic for me. And then to do the movie was just a, some seven, eight years later, it was a reminder of, of how personable and or how personal of a story it was. And I, uh, I wrote the book because I thought maybe people might be inspired to do better, to try harder, to never give up. And I think the, the movie is a, a great example of that as well. So uh, I'm glad y'all liked it. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. it was really good. Really, really good. So I, I, I call us even then because I stayed up till about 2 in the morning in Vegas oh, one night yeah. watching you race a dirt car. Well, and, and I think the story was a little bit better than my race <laughs> win, <but> yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you stopping in, Brian, and joining us. Yeah. Reddit has sent us a crap load of questions. I'm going to get Haley to answer those. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yes, sir. <laughs> so a guy that you know is mm-hmm. a part of my production team here at the Waltrip Unfiltered podcast, Ford Martin. Appreciate you uh, reading some Reddit questions for How do you know Haley? Well, uh, actually, last year, I was Bill McAnally approached me to help her out at Sonoma last year for the road course and kindly asked me to come back for Iowa that uh, that following race. So uh, we worked together a couple of races. We never got a win, but we ran well yeah. and uh, worked at Iowa this past year. She cut her radio off for about 30 laps to go. I uh-huh. guess she didn't want to hear me anymore. I don't but. know why I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That happens. The spotters kind of get on people's nerves. Hey, hey, that, that's our yeah. job. That's our uh-huh. job. But hey, we got some questions from Reddit. Thank you, everyone from the Reddit community that has sent in some questions. So we have a first one from ARX underscore Jim. <laughs> If you could design a track where it would be, where would it be and what would it feature? Where would it be? I would say we need a better track in California. Fontana's awesome. Yes. It's slick and it's flat, and that's not my preferred track. (laughs) I would just do something around the mile range, just because I feel like mile makes a good racing, those Mm -hmm. Iowa tracks. Um, I feel like mile, super banked. Like something like Bristol, but bigger. Yeah. That would be kind of my dream Okay, uh, and that's a great answer, and I agree, but let me tell you what I told someone would be a good idea about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and they told me that I was wrong, okay. which you'll get that. Uh-huh, all the time. <laughs> makes makes me mad. But So, Fontana's two miles, right? Yes. And it's flat and slick. Flat and slick and so hot. So, <laughs> what, what are two of the best races on the East Coast that people just get pumped up about? Daytona and Talladega. Yeah. You know, people love the action at the super speedways mm-hmm. and the, the drafting and the, the craziness. Mm-hmm. They should have, back about 10 years ago, two miles is plenty big. Yes. Bank it up to 36 degrees mm-hmm. and make it a restrictor plate track. Yeah. Make it a track like Daytona and Talladega. And then think of this. You got these cars that you race at Daytona and Talladega. Now you're going to race it one more mm-hmm. time. That's cost saving. Yeah. If you, you will. You don't have to change that up to 10. Who, 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 maybe I'm making that part up. It's okay. <laughs> but, but what's for sure, when NASCAR would go west, it would be like going out for the Piston Cup. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be running this big super speedway race in Hollywood. Yeah. In and, Los Angeles. That would be exciting. I 110% agree. And I think that would get that California West Coast fan base to come out more because they're more of this motocross, a little bit different, um, not so much stock car racing, and I think that would bring the West Coast NASCAR community alive. No doubt. Uh-huh. So my track would be take Fontana, don't have to bank it any bigger, just bank up the banks, get on your computer, figure out how many banks degrees you need to make it be a restrictor plate race. More bank the better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Uh-huh. We have another question from Wonder underscore Buster. What was it that first got you interested in pursuing a career in NASCAR? What first got me interested was I say that 
that time of where I felt like I peaked in my career and I just didn't know where else to go. And it was even at Kern County when I was driving a legend car, seeing that K&N team, and I thought it was just cup. Like, yeah. I thought it was at that cup level. Like, they're so professional. Look how nice their cars are. They have semis. Like, that was the thing. Like, look at their haulers. And so that was something that I knew at that point. I was like, look how prestigious everyone looks, and even in the K&N series. Yeah. <laughs> and that was something that I wanted to be a part of. But the K&N series – even today when they pull in, they have that look. Yep. I mean, you're going to have an awesome DGR Crosley hauler at yep. Bristol this weekend with a beautiful number 54 mm-hmm. on it. It's going to be professional. That's that's oh, yeah. That's got to be fun for you to see weekend. We got... When you were at Kern County in the Legends car and you saw those big haulers, now one of them's going to have your name on uh, it. That's, I'm excited, that's, yeah. That's, I love my hauler. My yeah. hauler, I got like my smoothie maker in there. It's just <laughs> at home for me. Ah, that's cool. Um, social media. A yes. lot of folks on Reddit and Twitter alike mm-hmm. want to know um, what your favorite social media platform is and how much has social media helped you advance your career. And I talked to your dad earlier. He's a big part of your social media team, huh? Yeah, yeah, he is, <laughs> for sure. He's my <laughs> filmer, photographer, and I love Instagram just because mm. – the West Coast, I grew up using Instagram a lot. Uh, East Coast uses Twitter a lot more. Twitter people are a lot more ruthless. <laughs> I can tell you that. And so Instagram for me has really been a way to personalize myself and show people who I am. I show my personality. Not saying that I'm different, but just being able to show who I am, what I do. And especially when you go to those races where you win and see how much your social media grows and see who mentions you and stuff. And Ronda Rousey. Oh, yeah, Ronda Rousey comment on my post. Oh, my God, I was so excited. And that's the thing about social media. It makes this connection with people who could be across the country, across the states, anywhere around the world. It makes this connection within three seconds of commenting on someone's post, with liking the picture, following them. Stuff that takes a few seconds out of your day can, first of all, make someone's day and build not only their social media but yours, too. And think about this. How excited you just were when you talked about Ronda Rousey. I was so excited when she commented on my picture. There's kids, there's people all over America that get that same emotion when they see that you say something about something they did or when when you comment on one of their posts. That's that's got to just make you feel so good that you can influence and inspire, mm-hmm. inspire people to, to be all they can be and be more than they are. And what I love about your social media, it's just, it's a lot like mine. I look at Instagram as art. Like mm-hmm. when I take a picture, I'm serious about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it and I'm uh-huh. going to say, is this worthy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to look at And I feel like the longer you look at pictures, it's like the worst they get. <laughs> You're like, oh, no, this is wrong. About, oh, well, the person, the guy in the background. <laughs> well, you being on a, you know, skiing behind a boat. Yeah. Uh, that, that was really cool. Those uh-huh. are the types of things I want to see. Yeah. And so not, not just being at the racetrack, but mm-hmm. people get to know you better about who you are and what you do. And. I know you work out a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just came from the gym, by the way. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, I, I got a I got a trainer now, and I'm working on my oh. abs. Me too. Those those are a little harder to get. I feel like. Yes. <laughs> Definitely for me. <laughs> so he said I have abs, but there's just fat covering them up right now. <laughs> me too. It's okay. <laughs> and so I think. When it comes to social media, there's just this way to connect with people. And if I go and comment on someone with a couple million followers post and they like my comment and reply to it, it 
connects me with them in a way that it would never be. And mm-hmm. so being on social media, I like every single person's comment. And people are like, oh, you don't go through your comments. You don't go through your direct messages. I go through every single one. And you don't drink Monster. I No, I don't drink Monster. <laughs> I'm like, of course she does. We are Monster people. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that's just something for me. Commenting on people's pictures, just replying to comments. When people ask me questions, I love replying to them. And it's funny because my screen time on my phone is like nine hours a day. <laughs> and so uh, that's just from being on social media. And I'm working hard on that one. Yeah. <laughs> my screen time is a little astronomical, but yes. that's okay. <laughs> We're I, building. We're building a business. <laughs> the social media allows you to bring more fans to NASCAR mm-hmm. than would be here any other way. You have... You have that reach. You have the ability to, to, to have more people put their eyeballs on Fox Sports, Fox NASCAR, NBC, whoever's covering the races. You, you can affect those numbers because they want to see how Haley's doing. That's, that's, it's A, it's quite an honor and a privilege that you have that influence, but, but it almost must feel like a bit of a responsibility for you to be able to deliver to those fans that love you so much. Yeah, and it is sometimes for sure a responsibility. Okay, is what I'm posting, is it going to be, do the fans want to see this? And is it something that I should post, shouldn't post? And something with NASCAR is a lot of the fans are in this older generation, the Earnhardt generation, just even even the Jimmy Johnson generation. Just They're a little bit older fan base. And that's something where these younger drivers coming up, if you can build your social media, those fans are people that want to come see you in real life. They just don't want to see your Instagram post, like your picture. They want to come see you in real life. And I try to use my social media to bring more people to NASCAR just because, first of all, it's what I want to do with my career. Building the sport is going to help build my future and my racing career and how it could build my value to even just better my career. And that's something that I love the fans. I love, even when I went to Pocono, I was waiting by my car and practice kept getting postponed, like, oh, five more minutes, 20 more minutes, 30 more minutes. And we were already in our cars, ready to go out, and the track was seeping and stuff, so they were drying it. So I ended up getting on my car, and across the fence, I had tons of fans out there. Every single one of them had one piece of my merchandise on. And that's something that I care about. So I get out of my car, I walk over there, sign all their stuff, take pictures, even from across the fence, because I couldn't get to the other side. <laughs> but that's something I love to do. I love connecting with the fans and trying to bring new ones to the track not just connecting with the older generation especially with me being only 18 i can bring these this younger generation of even girls to the sport and that's something that the sport needs and and how cool was that john force video of when he won that race i was in tears I was on too. twitter oh my gosh just watching him hurdle the fence <laughs> the hurdle so the fence and just going yeah. to the people yeah and, and exactly that's, that's what we need and that's that's why i'm mm-hmm. glad here you got out of your car mm-hmm. and went over there and said hi to those folks yeah. that's awesome and that's what i love to do i love just being able to connect with the fans in ways people don't. I'm the same exact way. Well, we announced some big news. Yes. You're going to race Bristol in DGR Crosley's number 54 in the Canyon Series this this um, Thursday night. Now, you have this platform. Let's break some more. Are you going truck racing in 2020? I wish I could tell you, but I don't even know myself. <laughs> That's something would, for me. Would that be something you'd be highly interested in doing 100 percent, i'd be interested in it one thing i think for next year i would love to race eldora seeing the guys go out there and race eldora i'm sitting on the couch and i'm just like he's not opening up his entries he needs to get rotated more he's pushing it why is he open up and that's something like i i was sitting by myself watching in uh, my mom's office and i'm just over there yelling at myself my grandma walks in the house and she's like what are you yelling about i'm like people driving on the track that don't know how to drive dirt and so 
that's something for me. I really want to race Eldora, and that's something I would love to do next year. I have nothing set plans yes. at all, and it really goes how how we finish out this year and how I feel I'm ready by the end of the year running on some of the bigger tracks and getting this experience. But if I had a dream scenario, it'd be race, because I know they're combining the Canaan and Arca series, but I don't know how it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. If I had unlimited funding, get to go do whatever I want, I would like to race that full Arca K&N series and maybe a few truck races. Yeah. That's something that is kind of a goal of mine to get figured out, but I have nothing figured out right <laughs> now. We're still in what? August? <laughs> really, really loved visiting with you. It's been as fun as I thought it would be. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do next because you got me all jazzed up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> looking forward to the rest of my day. All right, sweet. <laughs> you have that kind of uh, vibe to you. You uh-huh. make people want to go. Yeah, I just talk a lot. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Yeah, but thank you for having me. It means a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I told you it was going to be fun. Man, such a great time visiting with the Deegans. Haley and Brian coming to the studio. I love that. How about her energy? How about how much she just makes you want to get up and go? I think that it was a great show. I'm glad you joined us. Tell your friends about us. Have them add us via their favorite podcast app. Also, watch all of our video. We're going to put them up on Instagram, on Fox Sports Instagram. Michael Waltrip. NASCAR on Fox. All this content will be out there, so be sure to watch for it. And thanks for joining me. I had a lot of fun today, and I look forward to seeing you next time.